Puget Sand. Hello everybody, yes, back after a too long respite, stinging at you from Vintage Sand Studios South, that's right, we're South 14th Street now on Balmy 14th Street on this hot, very hot May yes, Day. it's too hot for me. It's Team Vintage Sand, we have returned, we were counted out before our time, we have come back, and we are here with episode 11. Yes, we're totally into double digits now, it's official, I can announce it, I'm proud of it. And uh, this is Josh Cabot along with Mike Edmond and John Meyer, we are Team Vintage Sand, and as I've always said, we are not claiming any expertise on film, just a, an insane passion for film and the desperate need to impose our taste on other people. So you have here to we get it out of our system. <laughs> exactly. So here we are with episode 11 of Vintage Sand. We actually do have some listeners, though, guys. I've been looking. Really? Yeah, there's like over 100 people listened to the last episode. Really? Wow. Yeah, I'm telling you, this, this, is, this thing is building. This could be something big. So, um... I will, uh, as I do in my teaching, I am an English teacher by profession, as our regular listeners know, uh, I'll start with the five-year-old's question, all right, since they're the hardest and the most profound. What, we're always talking about great films. What makes a film great, in your opinion? Next question? Yeah, all right. No, you can't pass. <laughs> There's no passing. There's no crying in podcasts. <laughs> to me, what makes a film great is something that just gives you so much pleasure that you just want to see it over and over again, even if it's just once a year. Yeah, I agree. And you know what I always think of as an example? I say compare Memento with a film like Sixth Sense, both of which have very interesting twists at the end. The thing is, with a yeah. film like Sixth Sense, though, at least for me, once you've seen it once, you've got it. And yeah. repeated viewings don't do anything more. No, Whereas with and, Memento... And also, also Bruce Willis' performance is... Eh. He's okay in it. There's certain performances, I think, that also lend themselves to great movies that you want to watch them over and over again. You and see, his is not you one see, of them. You see, you see more each time. You see another facet of the character when the, when the writing and, 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 the, and the actor meld together. It's... It's magic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Shyamalan still has a career. Someone keeps letting him make movies. And the last yeah. couple were actually not bad. The one with James McAvoy was interesting. But, uh, the one this was, year or last no, year? No, no, Because he's in both years. Yeah. And uh, the one but I, I agree that the really great movies, I want to watch them over and over again and it still gives me pleasure. Yes, well, and yeah. uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, like last week, uh, I was just watching for the first time in several years, HUD. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, oh, what a good movie. Big Patricia Neal fan I am. Oh well, and and she is so great in it. Right? Totally, totally great. But I, I just realized, God, you know, I've seen this movie maybe a dozen times. I have the DVD, and I'm really I'm sat in my living room watching. I'm saying I'm really enjoying this more than ever. Yeah. I, I think it is actually that's to me a, a movie that I just saw. That improves with age, like a good wine. Yeah, no, it has, really, not, has not dated at all. Not right. only is and it not that, dated, I think it's actually a little better. And that is the <laughs> test. The te I mean, I think the short answer to the question is very simple. One, it's time. And because it's a great example of a movie that is a very serious, penetrating drama. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of humor. A lot of humor. Yes. A lot of humor. Absolutely. And Paul yeah. Newman at his best. And um, Melvin yeah. Douglas. Melvin Douglas. Melvin Douglas. You don't give a damn, HUD. <laughs> now, that's, that is probably Martin Ritt's best movie. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. And he was a good director. James Wong Howe, cinematographer. And there that helped you go. Too. And we, you know, go back to episode two and listen to us fawn about James Wong Howe's 60s black and white stuff, which includes HUD, as John points out. But um, I regret I've never seen that at a theater. 
I love the beginning. Yeah. I got so. to see, oh, I went to see Life of Brian uh, for its 40th anniversary. Oh. Fun. On a big screen. Last time I saw it on a big screen, I was 14, and it was right. 1979. So, right. fun. You know, yeah. not Holy Grail, but it's, uh, it's fun. But it's funny. So, I, I think, in, in short, the answer to our question is, with any piece of art, is time. Because so many of the films that we love and have become, you know, from Wizard of Oz to Vertigo, um, were not successful. Uh, when they came out. In fact, we're mm. often dismal failures. We talked about Manchurian Candidate in one of our episodes that was... A, 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 everyone took a bath on that one. And so what we want to do in this episode, which we call Hidden Gems Volume 1, is that each of us is going to take a film that we love, that we feel has been unjustly ignored, which we think stands the test of time, and argue the hell out of it uh, yeah. with each other because we're going to have some, some fairly strong disagreements on this one. But but before we do that, uh, just a shout out. We usually do our necrology at the end, but losing John Singleton's uh, at 51 just deserves its own mention before we get into the body of it. It's, we talked a lot about Singleton in the last episode. John had listed um, Boys in the Hood as one of his... Um, Shocking and, yeah. and this terribly sad. Yeah, hard hard to believe. And, you know, he had not done the kind of work he started out doing on the big screen, but he was still a viable director. Absolutely. He did great stuff yeah. on television. And, 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 and still young enough, he possibly still could've. could have made, yeah. you know, something that was completely his own and, and, and really, really good, maybe great. Yeah, I mean, John had mentioned um, in our last episode, episode 10 was One Hit Wonders, and of course Boys in the Hood is his, but there, there's something in all of those films, in Poetic Justice, a lovely performance from Tupac, even from Janet Jackson. I love Higher Learning. I think it gets a little like out Higher of control Learning. at the end. Yeah, but I, I like, And I, I thought my favorite film of his, as I mentioned when you were saying, was, Rose, was Rosewood. Um, which uh, the historical... Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that again, again because I remember that I, I just felt it was sort of very, very mainstream. It didn't seem to have the same uh, individual personality that, say, Boys in the Hood did. Um, even though, even though it, is, it is his movie. But I know also uh, there was a lot of pushback on the film because he did introduce the Ving Rhames character, was which was completely, completely fictional, and yeah. a lot of people were upset about that. I'm going to make a statement, agree or disagree. Aside from Citizen Kane and Badlands, Boys in the Hood may be the best debut film by an American director. Discuss. <laughs> I have to, I have think to really, others. really think about that. But, I, I, I mean... <coughs> I can't none, no, none others leap to mind. Yeah, I mean that made such a splash. Yeah. So uh, we we remember John Singleton. His films will long outlive him, fortunately, and um, we miss him. And you know, again, the, when I think of Singleton, as I mentioned in the last, just that image of well, ice of Ice Cube walking away. Boys don't cry. What is that? Her first film. Boys don't cry. Yeah, but boys don't cool. We lo I love the film. Yeah, but I don't think it has quite the same impact as Boys in the Hood. I, I mean, boy, because Boys know. in the Hood was also a commercial success. Right. I guess Boys Don't Cry was as well. No, well, it, it was an art house. It was success. yeah, but it was made money. It had a slow buildup. It, yeah. it eventually uh, had a following. Um, I mean, it it was slow slow growth kind of mm -hmm. thing or whatever. 
Yeah. Not like Boys in the Hood. That had a big impact oh, on yeah. the box office. Though. Immediately. No, yeah. and, and the shocking thing is that it's so of its time and yet still. And yes, still unfortunately works. still relevant. Yeah, unfortunately. But that says more about, maybe as much about the times as it does about John Singleton, but a great director, one of our greatest, and he will uh, be very much missed by Team Vintage Sand and everyone and anyone who loves film. So uh, we are going to talk about now our hidden gems. Who wants to go first? Should we go after? Oh, I'm going first? Yeah, okay. John's going first. I always All go right. first. You go first. Okay, so uh, the movie that I picked is Safe Conduct. Came out in 2002, a French film, written by Jean Cosmos and Bertrand Tavernier. It's based on a book. I'm not sure if it's a book or if it's just memoirs, or, or I'm not exactly sure about that, by Jean Devarev. I don't know how to say the I poor man's name. I think it's Devevre. Okay. And also based on... I come with subtitles. And also... <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, also based on Tavernier's conversation with Jean Orange, who was the other character in the movie. The writer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you have two central characters. This takes place during the Nazi occupation, during World War II in Paris. You have an assistant director and a screenwriter. And their lives intersect. And basically you get this mosaic of how people, first of all, survived during the occupation... Just but day and, to day. But yeah. Then, yeah, day to day. And you do get a, a good sense of how hard it was for people to live through this. I mean, you see the lines of people, you know, waiting all day. And for running food. out of things at the grocery yeah, store. Uh, yeah. No heat, um, all sorts of things. Just just day to day basic things were, were very, very hard to come by. But also how each character in their own little way resists. Although the two main characters, the assistant director is fully involved with the resistance. Right. Whereas the screenwriter, he, he refuses to actually commit to uh, Continental, which is the Nazi-run uh, film studio. He's, and he just goes from place to place to place or whatever. He's also sort of a womanizer. But he tries to interject things into his screenplays that are protesting. But he always likes to write period films so right. that they don't catch on. That yeah, was, well, that right, was that the whole was idea. That was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. To couch the yeah. uh, the politics. Yeah. In, like Children in Paradise. Yes. Did. Yeah. Yes. Which is, you know, the most so. famous film from France in that period. <laughs> I it have... didn't, and it didn't make, it, le- it made less than $2 million. Oh, it did not do well. Yeah, it was, I think it only played in New York for maybe a month. And uh, from what I hear, it was not very popular in France either. No, and oh, for various course, for yeah. various reasons, uh, partly political, because some people said, oh, it depicted collaborationists in a, in a positive light, which I don't understand at all. No. And, um, and it's... Because you know there is this attitude that after World War II, everybody was an ardent, you know, ardently involved with the resistance. Right. <laughs> now, I, but, also, but also there were a lot of the new wave critics who did not like it so much because you had all these traditional films right. that were showing in the movie. Right. And, which is what they were rebelling against. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. And they didn't like that. Which Tavernier didn't understand because he worked with these new yeah, ways. And exactly. he was telling a story. I, yeah. I, and a yeah. good story. Here is a question that popped into my head when uh, I was watching it. I, this goes back, this may sound like a non sequitur, but it's not. Because um, it, it's a sequitur. When I was a teenager, <laughs> the big hit musical was Catherine Hepburn and Coco. She left the show. And was replaced by Danielle Dariel. Yeah, oh, who's yeah. mentioned about yeah. twenty times. And yes. mentioned yes. twenty yes. in the Times. And 
this was the first I'd ever heard of her. Right. But there was protest. Not huge, but there were like letters to the editor protesting her appearance on a Broadway stage because of what had happened. Because she had apparently, according to some of the letters, was a collaborator. Yeah. Well, I it, don't think she was. No, I don't think so either. Because she had an... Um, she actually went to Hollywood after the war. So how could that have happened? Plus yeah. she was in the earrings of Madame Dead, which is one of my favorite films in the whole world, so she can't be bad right. at all. And right. she had a career that lasted... She died at 100, and she was working almost up to, to 100. And I, I want to say, considering also the, the grim subject matter, mm-hmm. really, um, there's a lot of humor in the movie. Oh, yeah. But, but what I wanted to know was... Was there anything done to people who collaborated in film? I mean, well, did, was that on, a, on who? Who you mean? Like, say, an actress like that yeah. who so poor? Well, I don't understand how they're defining a collaborator. If you if you had a contract with Kanenenel, mm-hmm. the Nazi studio, what were you supposed to yeah. do? You really all you were trying to do was survive and and have a paycheck. Well, to me, to me, the best line in the film is 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 one of the Jean says, "We're not making films for the Germans. We're making films under the Germans." Exactly. Yeah, that was Which a good I thought, line. Was, and yeah. it really, the thing I love most about the film is that it really blurs that line between yes. collaborator yeah. and not resistor, but someone who's just trying to make a living and yeah. survive. And yeah. working for Continental, I don't. I walked away from it feeling that just because you work for Continental didn't make you a collaborator as such. No. No. And and also there was the one there's that one minor character who keeps chasing around the assistant director like you know I need that contract he just wouldn't sign right, it he wouldn't sign. <laughs> that was funny it was a lot of humor in it um, but he took some big risks too because there's that part where he's given the wrong key and he goes to the office of the the administrator and he finds all those papers and brings them yes. to to the other guy, the other man who's, you're not quite sure what his role is. I think, I think he was probably, possibly an official in the Vichy government who was also in the resistance. And we weren't sure, but you got the yeah. feeling he was, at yeah. first I thought he was, you know, Vichy, Vichy, and then I got the feeling he was... Yeah, he was working both sides. Right? Yeah. He, I, I, think, I think he was like a double agent, really. <laughs> well, and, and and the perfect example of what we're talking about is that they mentioned Henri Georges Clouseau, who you know, who later Diabolique right. did so many good films. Right. Mm-hmm. His film from '44, Le Corbeau, The Raven, uh, it gets mentioned specifically, and they're talking about how it's collaborationist. But yeah. the, but other people say no, 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 no. First of all, he gave work to Jews. Second exactly. of all, and second of all, it's a film that it, that um, criticizes those who inform. Yeah. Uh, so it could be read that way, right. but but the people who criticized Clouseau were just as right too. It's a very it, it allows a very complicated situation to stay very yeah. complicated. Yes, yeah. which is what I liked about the movie. Well, well also the uh, that's a good example of this is when um, the assistant director has to get on the plane and go to England because they want him to present the information in person otherwise they're not going to believe them and everything and you have this ridiculous scene of them trying to interrogate him he doesn't know what they're, <laughs> yeah. what they're saying that was my favorite he scene can't, right. he can't speak English but and a lot of that was very funny but at the same time it it goes back and it becomes very grim if you're if you know about Harry Bauer because they ask him towards the end like well, what are you working on now? And he's talking about the detectives. He's, oh, I like those, or whatever. And he said, and he says, no, Harry Bauer is out because Harry Bauer had made a public statement 
criticizing the Nazis, and he was sent to Germany to make movies. And then when he was there, his wife was arrested, who was Jewish, and accused of espionage. It was all trumped-up charges. Right. And then Harry Bauer was... Uh, he was interrogated and sent to a concentration camp for a while. He was tortured by the Gestapo and then eventually released. He went back to Paris and then and died a few days later mysteriously. Mm. Nobody really knows what happened. Well, he was probably murdered. There is a moment that I'm not a huge Tavernier fan. I love Round Midnight just because of Dexter Gordon, mm. but I'm not a bit. But there's a moment there at the end of the film that's as good as any moment I've ever seen in any film that's about film, where his where his wife, where oh God, Deveva's wife says, "I never saw my brother again yeah, yeah. except for 57 years later yeah. when I saw him as an ex." on the big screen and they have the actual film and they have the footage and it's so you're right John it's just heartbreaking beautiful what a great I mean the whole movie's worth and I love the Michel Simon scene because I'm a huge Michel Simon fan and they're like yeah well he can afford to have big balls because he's Swiss and he's technically neutral (laughs) so uh, yeah but uh, that that scene you're referring to it's devastating and she says that he his other prisoners said that they called him string bean because he had become so thin yeah. Yeah. And and I I it doesn't really tell a straight narrative story, but I like that. No. It's more of a mood piece. It's more about yeah. like, as you say, John, giving a sense of what what do you do to survive in the in It's times like a like mosaic. That. It's exactly. like a grand mosaic. Yeah. And what's the price you pay to do that? I love I mean, I if you if you haven't seen have you guys seen Army of Shadows? I saw it a long time ago. I want to see it again. That's the one with Simone Signore? No, that's... Oh, yes, 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 yeah. right. One, I did not see it. Jean-Pierre Mel- uh, Melville, right. who is actually in The Resistance. And yeah. it was never released here for about 40 right. years, yeah. remember? It and didn't have they, a commercial And Tavernier worked with... With Melville. Yes. And it, that is... You know, the difference between... Um, between uh, Safe Conduct and Army of Shadows is the difference between Schindler's List and The Pianist. You know, one was made mm, one yeah. was made by a historian who's very devoted to getting to the truth of that time, right. but the other was made by somebody who was there. Yeah. And you can just feel it. They're very different films. Well, yeah. Also, Tavernier, I think, wanted really wanted to make this movie, too, because his father was in the Resistance and wrote publications for the Resistance. Those flyers that kept yeah. getting everybody in trouble. Yeah, which, yeah. that's what gets the uh, the brother-in-law arrested. Right. And, I, you know, I just love the idea of, you know, filmmaking or art as salvation. As, right. You know, right. as as uh, as refuge, as, yeah. as a place to go and a place to survive. Yeah. It's just a beautiful idea. Yeah, because, well, that's the other thing. They were artists. They wanted to work, so they were... Trying to also find to still to still be able to do their craft, and I and I just I love the production scenes. I love the scenes where they're you know using next to nothing, and they're talking yeah. about the camera angles and where you have to put the camera. Yeah. It was yeah. some of the most very specific film. You know, there are a lot of films about filmmaking, but this yeah. is one of the most specific about the actual technical stuff involved in getting a certain effect, especially when you had no money or budget. Well, also, it also always constantly had that very strong subtext because of the situation and time because of the Nazi occupation, whereas like Day for Night is much, much different, much lighter. Well, of course. Right. Yeah. Much... But um, definitely worthwhile and, you know, challenges your 
you know, as I said, uh, the, you do the, have to pay attention. No, There's some characters that go in it, and out. It, it's three hours. It's yes. three hours, and it's in subtitles. And <laughs> to a lot of people, that's that's probably why it didn't do well. It's here. three hours, but also there were. There's moments in the movie where I kind of felt like it almost needed to be longer to really f- completely flesh to out get some the depth things. of the. Uh, well, that's but, because there were so many characters. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, I kept thinking when I was watching it. I wish this had been a miniseries. Well, I, I often I wondered if maybe that's what their first intent was. I don't know it's because possible. I could see that. I could definitely see that. It would have worked just as well on a oh, small screen. Absolutely. Yeah. Because because there's so much jammed in there, there's I mean one minor criticism is occasionally he, he cuts away kind of fast, in certain moments. There's yes. one that really sticks in my mind when they're seeing a screening, and um, right. Olga the prostitute that one of Jean Orange's girlfriends, she Many goes to the movie goes to the movie with him, and afterwards, he, you know she's talking about the movie, and then he brings her over to the director says, you know, tell her what you, and she talks about how she really liked the movie because everyone stands up to, you know, to to the they resist, even though it's a period film, and the director is so pleased, and then he cuts away from her, and I was like, you could have stayed in it just a little moment longer, yeah. it would have been so moving. No, I mean, I don't. Per, per, I don't think anyone really puts Tavernier in the top tier of French directors, but no. he's always, always worth a look. And this again is just, and it, ironically, because it's a period piece that has a lot to say about our times. Just as right. it's a film that talks about period pieces saying a lot about yeah. their times. It's a lot about resistance, and resistance seems to be very much in the air these days. Yes. So a valuable film, beautifully acted, nicely yeah. shot. The music got some notice too, didn't it? Didn't it win some award for music? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know it was nominated for awards in France, and uh, it I think here. it won. Uh, Jacques Gamelin did win Best Actor at one of the festivals, and deservedly so. All right, so for, that's um, Safe Conduct. I don't know what the name is in French, actually, from, by Bertrand Tavernier. It's a terrible title. From, yeah, it's, a, it's very... That is, that's right. one big criticism. It's a terrible title. Not a very, good title. Very generic, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of terrible titles, how about Afterglow? Yes, Afterglow <laughs> is a terrible title. There, there's a, there currently, or about a, six months ago, there was an off-Broadway play uh, with a lot of male nudity, I didn't see it, called Afterglow. <laughs> And I thought, hmm. you know, really? But it, yeah, it's a bad title. Okay, I am a fan of... Um, I know why you like this movie. Alan Rudolph. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'm a fan of Alan Rudolph, even though Rhymes he's... Rhymes Julie Christie. He, it's, <laughs> it's probably, yes. I think he's the chairman of the Julie I Christie you, fan club. Are you the chairman of the fan club? You can tell us. You're among friends. Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I, will, I will go into that. Um... I do like Alan Rudolph in general. Um, he, uh, for those people who don't know them, he's basically Robert Altman's assistant, and Robert Altman in all ways. and gave him uh, <laughs> and gave him a lot of um, opportunities to direct. His first major movie, I think he did a couple others before that, was in 1977. Welcome, so to, Welcome to L.A. Welcome which to L.A. And Trouble in Mind was great too. Actually, have you seen Welcome to L.A. lately? No, I haven't seen it since about, uh, about 10, 15 years. I saw it when it came out, and I loved it. And I realized, I think I loved it because of the music. And I, they had a, um, 
uh, Alan Rudolph retrospective at the Quad last year. Oh, cool. And they were showing it again because I've not been able to find Welcome to L.A. on video or it's never on TV. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go see it again. And I hated it. Interesting. Because of, mainly because of the character was so narcissistic. Did you like the moderns? I did, but I don't remember it much. I liked it, but I also felt it just didn't all quite work. And most of his films... It contains my my most hated movie line in any movie ever. The what? worst line ever written. Gertrude Stein says to Hemingway, Remember, Ernest, the sun also sets. <laughs> is that in the modern? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that is that a is, that is a te- I didn't know it was in that one. <laughs> I thought it was in that other movie about Gertrude Stein. Uh, uh, the one that Linda Hunt was in? No, I don't remember. Oh, there was a movie. Fact checker! Yes. And I think <laughs> I think Linda that. Hunt played Gertrude Stein, and somehow Andrew McCarthy was in it. Oh my God. I remember going to see it with our friend Melissa. Yes, because Andrew <laughs> McCarthy was in it. We love you, Melissa. <laughs> Shout out. But anyway, I thought that line came from that movie. I didn't know it was the moderns, but you could be very right, because I don't remember the moderns. Oof, we digress. And, and I don't remember most of his movies. The two uh, Alan Rudolph movies that I do remember with fondness was Mrs. Parker and The Vicious Circle. Yes. Which is the Jennifer one, Jason Lee, right? One of the very, very few performances I've seen of hers that I liked. I generally don't care for Miss. Miss Jason. Jason Lee. I thought she was, frankly, ghastly in the Tarantino movie that she got an Oscar nomination for. Um, the Where do we begin eight. with the ghastliness of Hateful Eight? The Hateful yeah, Eight. Exactly. Um, that's, but a whole, I, that's a whole other episode. True. Oh, God. we got to do a Tarantino episode in July when uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood oh, comes out. Ooh, yes. Yeah, that, that movie's giving me the creeps just thinking about it. Yeah. But, yes. Anyway, but that one I like. And then there is Afterglow. Which, okay, I am Let's a, talk about the cast. I am a, well, the right. cast includes um, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, who's actually currently right on Broadway now. Giving and he, he's very one from good Elementary, book. right? The show yes. Which is coming TV. back. Yeah. Which yeah. is coming back on Thursday. I did not know that. Oh. And um, I think for the last season. He ain't Benedict Cumberbatch, but he's a good Sherlock. He's a good actor, and he's very, very good in uh, Ink on Broadway right now. Uh, um, and he plays a very wealthy young man who likes older women, but he doesn't like his wife, played by Laura Flynn Boyle, who's kind of a, uh, what's the word, uh, spaz? I don't know. I, oh, Laura Flynn Boyle? Yeah. How would you call her character? Um, Desperate? Not written well? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Need we go on? <laughs> no, considering I fe- totally fell in love with her in Twin Peaks. Yeah. You know, that's not the Lara Flynn Boyle I remember from Twin Peaks, but she tried with what she had. She tried, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, I like Nick Nolte a lot in it. Uh, Nick Nolte is very, very Excellent. good. He very plays, he plays a handyman who uh, works for Miss uh, Boyle and, of course, has an affair with her. But whose, the, whose name she's, is actually Lucky Man. Lucky, yeah. yes. She, she's desperate to have a child. She's desperate to have a child. And for whatever reason, I, I mean, her husband is... He's, he's a stuck-up asshole. He is. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, yeah. That, I'd say that characterizes it. And uh, But the main reason I love um, Afterglow as Here much as I do is Julie Christie. Julie Christie? Who, Who uh, Okay, and uh, I am not going to say... That uh, I refuse to say that uh, this is her best movie. It certainly isn't. I mean, 
Darling, Don't Look Now, Petulia, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Even Dr. Zhivago. Shampoo, awesome. away from her, and I, I even said, even Dr. Zhivago, yep. which really made her a star. Darling didn't. Darling won her the Oscar, but Dr. Zhivago yeah. came out the same year, and yeah. that her made, movie, her, yeah. made her it's a her star. Movie. But I honestly don't think she's given a better performance than she does in Afterglow. I think she is... I'd have to see the other movies over again, but I mean, I think I think she's good in it. I mean, in a way, it's almost, at times, you feel like it's a love letter to her. Uh-huh. I mean, she has that, totally. that great scene uh, when she goes away with Johnny mm-hmm. Lee Miller. Yeah, to the country. And, yeah. uh, I mean, and she's ta- reminiscing about, you know, her acting days, and they're all just transfixed, except for the the girlfriend, she's like, come on, can somebody dance with me kind of attitude or whatever. But not only is she funny throughout the film, yeah. she's but totally s- tragic. Yes. Oh, yes. Having lost her daughter. Having lost her daughter. and Because uh, she lied. Because she lied. Yeah. She, she's a ex-B um, actress. She was a, uh, uh, she plays this actress who did a lot of schlocky horror films in Hollywood. And she and her husband moved to Canada to find the, their daughter, who runs, who had run away. And it's very complicated. Yeah, and they get a letter, and they realize that it's been postmarked in Montreal, so they moved to Montreal. They moved to, to Montreal, and Montreal, boy, it makes you really want to go to Montreal. Oh my God! And especially the fact that they live in the in the um, in that Expo '67, mm-hmm. um, those apartments that were built for the Expo that are on the island that are just so. Beautiful. I love that the architecture is. I, I like the movie, but I, I, I don't. I don't actually. think it all quite it works. Probably it probably sort of, doesn't. It's sort of a mashup genre. It definitely. It's, it's sometimes like, it's, it's ridiculously dra- it's drama, comedy, farce. almost farce. farce uh, I know romance. Uh, sometimes it's sort of soap opera-ish. I mean, the way that, that the mm-hmm. thing with the daughter is handled is is kind of kind of clumsy. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't use clumsy, but. It kind of sticks out. I would agree with it you. It feels written. It yeah. doesn't feel... But, you know, maybe he wasn't going for naturalism. I mean, he... he, he you Clearly, it's her movie. I mean, it Yeah, because, I mean, uh, she uh, won the New York Critics Award, National Society of Film Critics, Independent Spirit Award, and she got an Oscar nomination. And that was a year that uh, four English actresses competed with Hen- Helen Hunt. And Helen, yeah, Hunt won. And Helen Hunt won for as good as it gets. Yeah. That's right. But um, Kate Winslet, that's for sure. But Christy, um, and she had to be talked into it. She did not want to make this movie. She had just uh, finished doing a movie with Kenneth Branagh playing um, Gertrude Hamlet. Oh right! Yeah, <laughs> God, I try to forget that four yeah. and a half hours. Ahead. And uh, apparently, God, that was. wasn't a great experience for for her, from what I had read, uh, doing that. Although I thought she's pretty good in the movie. Um, Kenneth Branagh is the director who's done the least with the most talent. Kind of. Well, <laughs> that's a whole other other <coughs> other episode. <laughs> but uh, now Robert Altman had to really really talk her into it, and she was. Obviously, very fond of Altman because of yeah. McCabe and Mrs. Yeah. Miller, which is, which is, is which is one of her greatest movies. Yeah. I would definitely yes. say no doubt. Yes. You know, and this one does not come up to obviously come up to any of the movies that I mentioned before. But uh, I, but I don't think Rudolph ever reached Altman he territory. Didn't. He didn't. No, he He's didn't. Like a, a, whereas, say. Paul you Thomas can Anderson does. Yes. You can definitely see the Altman influence in his uh-huh. movies. Oh, Which boy. is why I went, would always go. Yeah. Uh, I guess Choose Me 
was popular. With Jean-Louis Bougeot. Yeah. Yeah, I love well, he that. likes that using was, her. Yeah. That's right. She was in a... Well, my, my favorite Rudolph movie probably did worse than any of them. Is, it was a disaster, which is made in heaven. I like... Well, that's Timothy Hutton, Yeah, with right? Tim Hutton. I kind of liked it. It was, it was very... You Who know, was the woman in that? Was it, it wasn't... De- Deborah Winger plays yeah. the angel, sort of. It was Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Who, play, right, yes. who plays the woman. And the idea that they're put on Earth and they have 30 years to find each other because they're two halves mm-hmm. of the same soul, remember? And he keeps giving him more time and more time. And Tim Hutton kind of wanders and his life doesn't go anywhere. I I like that movie. It's a really romantic I, film I, in the best way they possible. They never show Alan Rudolph movies anywhere except, I, I should mention, Afterglow is, being, is currently on Amazon. Oh, all right. Amazon yes. Prime. On Amazon Prime, that's where I saw it. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> but uh, rarely do you find Rudolph movies anywhere. But and I, you know, I the this the setup is the same as one of my all time favorite movies, which is um, which is in the mood for love, the long car. Why? Mm-hmm. You know where? Yeah. The the couples yep. spouses are cheating, and it turns right. out they're cheating with each, each other. other. Right. But the way he does that in that film is so beautiful, and they 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 resist the temptation. Right. Exactly. Because then they'd be just like the people who are hurting them so badly. Right. And, and you want them. You want them. Right, you really do. They're so good. And this, this movie, you don't really care. You don't want her to be with him. No, no he's right. Except he's not worthy of her. You do care about the Christie character. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Because, well, because you know, know of the, the, the thing about her daughter is heartbreaking. And uh, I have to say, when it came out... I went to see it over and over again. I saw it like six, seven times. I wouldn't admit that to too many people. I'm sorry, I did. I did. Mainly, I guess it's because not only did it was... If I could go outside now, I'd cross to the other side of the street. Christy, not only that Christy was so good, but she, at 57, she looked, looked. so She was great. 57 when she met She's 57. Wow-y. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll give you that one. I can understand Johnny Lee Miller uh, yeah. being attracted to her. Yeah, she just turned 79. She hasn't made a film in seven years. Does she act on stage? No. No? No, she just acts, you know, occasionally. The last thing was that movie with uh, Robert Redford. Yeah. And surrounded and for what I understand she's very content to yeah. be sort of a homebody yeah she lives in the country with her husband and no children yeah but I think you know if you're if you're an Altman fan out there and you like that kind of thing that Paul Thomas Anderson as I was saying tried to do in Boogie Nights and Magnolia yeah. with 20 different characters who wander across town and keep mm-hmm. bumping right. into each other and we find Rudolph is in Rudolph's films especially the early ones oh, yeah. says, and, and Afterglow well, as well definitely uh, uh, Welcome to LA is, is, and is worth li- I've forgotten about Choose Me Choose Me is a good film yeah and, and I love Jean how do you not love Jean Vier Bougeot she's has yeah. she she retired or yeah I know you don't, don't hear from her anymore no 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 but Rudolph is definitely worth looking into I called into. her the other day she wouldn't return my call yeah unbelievable I always liked her <laughs> and I said as much to her constantly over the phone so that's my movie and Amazon give it a look if you've got nothing else to do and you'll see, you just will see a, a very very good actress yeah, height of her powers. Absolutely. And I to me it's it's she overcomes she overcomes material that's not quite worthy of her. Okay. But but she makes the film worth seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> it's 
speaking of films not worth seeing. No, I'm not going to say oh, that. All right, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for the attacks to come. I'm ready I'm for the attacks to, attack to come. I'm not going to attack you. I'm not either. No, you're going to attack me. This is not ad hominem. This is ad hopperum. All right, because this we're talking about Dennis Hopper here. So 50 years ago, we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Hollywood completely losing its mind. You know, while there's riots in the streets, they're putting out Sweet Charity and Paint Your Wagon. They have no idea what the hell people want. And then Easy Rider comes along. And I'm with you, Michael, and John, too. I don't love Easy Rider. No, I don't. I, I, don't, I don't like it. I, I, don't th- I don't think it's a very good film, but, you it's know. It's kind of sloppy. And in, not in a charming way. Yeah. Yeah, in a, yeah. like, look how cool we are kind of way. Yes. But... You know, Dennis Hopper was not a newbie in Hollywood. I mean, of course, his first no. role was in Rebel back mm-hmm. in uh, in 55. 55. And it, when he did that, you know, he was an acolyte of James Dean, which, Michael, I think you said may have not been the best person to be an acolyte of in terms of acting styles. Well... Right? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, in terms of charisma, you can't match Well, there it, are but. moments in the last movie where you can see he's trying to look yeah. like James Dean in Giant. Yes, most definitely, with that cowboy hat and everything. So, Easy Rider... You would be better off trying to be like Jane Withers. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Easy Rider made a ridiculous profit. I forget exactly what Oh, it my was. God. I mean, and so... Hollywood, you know, all the studios were being sold to Gulf and Western and the other conglomerates, yeah. and they're like, okay, we have no idea what we're doing. And as we've talked about in these pages many times... The, the good news was they decided to throw money at the kids coming out of film school and say, hey, you know, here's $2 million, kid. Don't go over budget. You have yeah. final cut. Go make something. And yeah. that was the birth of Scorsese, and that was the birth of Coppola, and that was the birth of black exploitation. you know, the good parts of black yeah. exploitation. Except they gave, they gave Dennis Hopper a couple of million bucks. And so yeah. Dennis Hopper had been germinating this idea with Stuart Stern, the screenwriter of, um, of Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, and so he goes to Peru in 70 with a bunch of his hangers-on and friends yeah. and makes the last movie. And it has just come out in a beautiful Criterion edition uh, with a lot of interesting extras. It really is the last movie. It was meant, you know, we, we talked about, and there are a lot of Godard connections here, but remember we talked before about the end of Weekend. Um, Godard has the title cards, end yeah. of film, yes. end of cinema. Yeah. This is sort of playing that out for an entire film, God help yeah. us. And it was a Western. It's a story of a Western that's being filmed in Peru by Sam Fuller. Played by right. Sam, Sam Fuller. Fuller. Always nice to see Sam Fuller. He hangs out in Godard films too. There's another. Which Godard was? He was in Pierre Le Fou. Remember, he's yes. at the party. Yeah. You know what? It, what is film? Film is emotion, or whatever he says there. And as an um, actor, Sam Fuller is a very good director. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? But so the and Hopper plays Kansas, um, a stunt man. Um, and during the shooting, a stunt man is killed and. The, the, the film is finished and they kind of wrap it up. He decides to stay because he's fallen in love with a local a local girl. But where it gets interesting, where it gets conceptually interesting, is that the local Indians, who of course have never seen film before or anything, recreate the cameras, the lights, 
the boom mics out of bamboo or whatever materials they have at hand, and you see them acting out the filming of the film. Yeah. Except, of course, what they don't understand is that no one was really hurt. They don't know. So when the Indians are doing their quote-unquote filming, people are getting actually hurt. And the priest says to Dennis Hopper, "Listen, you know, you got to try to got to stop these people. They're hurting each other. You know, you brought the movies here, which you know, in and of itself is a really interesting idea. And then there's sort of an ending. Um, he sort of maybe dies as the sacrificial victim. We're not really sure because it's cut about mm. five different ways. Yeah. And well, and you see that part where he sort of, he so-called dies, and then he makes a face at the camera as like, oh. Right. Well, that's, <laughs> Hopper, say what you want about him. He was, as far as I can tell, one of the worst human beings ever to be on in front of a camera. But Hopper was a real fan of art and what had an yes. incredibly... Um, prescient art collection. He was buying stuff yes. by yes. Pollock and Rothko and de Kooning and Rauschenberg and those guys and Warhol years before anybody else. And he always said that the last movie was his attempt to make a, an abstract expressionist film. In other words, a film that not only tries to hide the seams or how it's being stitched together, but actively calls attention to, you know, there, there are cards that say scene removed. There are all kinds of jagged cuts. Scene missing. Scene yeah. missing, yeah. I mean, all kinds of things. Which is, like, which is common when, when a director presents a rough cut. Right. Yeah, this, and yeah. to present that, so in other words, he is actually showing us, it reminds me also, say, you talk of paintings of Duchamp, of the new Descending the Staircase, where you right. see that in, in motion all the way down. You know, it's not just on one stair, it's the whole thing happening yeah. at once. Yeah. So he he has a na he goes back to Taos with all this footage, and apparently the cocaine is cheap and really good in Peru because the crew certainly indulged. Well, I, I yeah, I was going to say, I've heard that it shouldn't have been called the last movie, but the last party. Yeah. And, and that's it, sort of like what the, the whole filming of the movie was like, was this big party. Everyone was getting drunk and high and doing a lot of cocaine. And, right. And yeah. it takes him months and months to edit it. And apparently, according to some sources, he puts together a cut that's roughly chronological yeah. that actually makes sort of narrative a narrative sense. traditional linear right. narrative. Mm -hmm. And then Alexander Hodorowsky, he of El Topo and the, and the Holy Mountain, uh, says, nah, 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 don't give them what they want, give them, you know, meanwhile Universal is screaming, you took our money, Hopper, where's our, where's our movie? And it's months, and it's months, and he takes Hodorowsky's advice and gives them this. And I still can't tell, this is only the second or third time I've seen it, because it was, was very hard to get your hands on. Oh, yeah. It, mean... it, it, it won the Golden Lion at Venice, and then was an absolute, complete, and utter disaster when it was released yeah. here. Yeah. It played I, for I a have, week or two. I have a theory. I could be completely wrong. But I think that when after he did that traditional narrative cut, he sort of knew and got some feedback, and the feedback was, this is really pretty bad. <laughs> I would not be surprised. And realized, well, then in that case, let's just... You know, chop it all up, and I'll try to make my my Godardvum. But it yeah. is. But it, it feels in some ways like a total piece of crap, self-indulgent, coke-addled piece of garbage. 
And at the same time, it also feels like a film that's about 40 years ahead of its time in terms of being postmodernist and exposing the process of filmmaking as part of the film I itself. Think, I think there's an attempt. My biggest problem with the movie is I find it kind of boring. And there, I, there and are long it, sections of and, it that well, are Well, and, there, and, the, and the, because the reason I think it is boring is because if you take an individual scene and look at them like just one by one, they're just not done well. They're not, the writing is not that interesting, and, and that's where but, it really, really suffers. But were he here, he might argue the idea of being done well is exactly what he was trying to avoid. No, well, he, he, he successfully avoided doing well. I mean, I will say, I, I, saw, I actually saw no, the film. No, I think, I, think, I think you see again that he was, he was a sloppy director. He was. He was. Yeah, he was. I saw the film when it came out. I actually did, and I... You and about five other people. Yeah, but it, Good it for was you, well. I lived impressed. in lived in Manhattan. It came to the cinema one, and I thought, well, maybe I missed something in Easy Rider. And frankly, at the time, I thought, I don't know what the hell's going on. And for the movie, you said, I want to see Easy Rider again. No, nothing <laughs> would make me want to see Easy Rider again. Watching it this time for this broadcast. <laughs> I actually like this film a little better than Easy Rider. Really? I yeah. thought you... I was. I had full metal armor on. I was ready for... I had the Kevlar no. on. I, I like it a little... No, no. I liked... I thought the premise was very, very interesting. There were some shots that were like, okay. My basic problem with Dennis Hopper's The Last Movie is Dennis Hopper. There's too much of him. There's too much of him and he's yeah. a dreadful actor. Now, he did get better. In the 80s, I will give him that. He's very good in Easy Rider. He's good in Hoosers. Um, Blue Velvet? Did I say Blue Velvet? Did no, you, you said you said Easy Rider instead of oh, Blue Velvet. Oh, I meant Easy Rider. Sorry. No, you meant Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. He's very... You never tell those two apart. <laughs> he's very, very good in Blue Velvet. He's good in Easy Rider. He's very good in... Um, some letters. River's Edge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is, a movie I, I, that, which I, is an excellent movie that never shows. Yeah, right, I, which I totally don't understand. What happened? Yeah, Tim Hunter is another director we have to go. Yeah, for. and that's disappeared. But uh, he is a, in his younger days. He was a very, very bad actor, even in good movies. He's terrible in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, he's painfully bad in that. Yeah, yeah I can't believe Coppola. It feels. I can't like believe that. he didn't cut him out. Yeah, it's it's. Well, he couldn't really. But it was I, nice to see him again. I've never seen the Vendors film. He was in the American Friend. Oh, yeah, I, I have. Seen, I have seen that. He's terrible in it. Because <laughs> I mean, it essentially killed him in Hollywood for until Lynch, you know, dragged him. Yeah, out. Yeah, Lynch knew how to set his buttons. I still think he's, frankly, a limited actor. I, I agree, but there's that scene where they're driving to the whorehouse, oh. um, which, which looks straight out of Blue Velvet. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that Lynch was, mm. Lynch has seen last movie yeah, and I'm was influenced I'm by. I'm sure. It. Yeah, it I'm feels sure. They're like, we got to go to Ben's. Got to, got to, got to, got to go to Ben's. <laughs> <laughs> and, we need to see that again, don't we? we and I have to, to say, there was a one other. In, there was one interesting performance by someone I wouldn't expect to be an interesting actress was Julie Adams. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, she yeah. Was, she was yes. actually pretty good. She was pretty good in it. Yeah. But it's it's a movie of ideas, and 
sometimes the ideas really hit and sometimes they really don't. I, if you ask me, I'm if, not against a movie that's that's not a, a linear narrative no, or no. or this attempt to make a so-called expressionist movie. That's that, what he called that, it, an abstract yeah, expressionist that doesn't, film. Which, but what the thing is, if that's what he's doing, then there shouldn't be any narrative at all. Mm. Then, you abstract, then you're in Stan abs- Breakage Land. Abstract expressionism is about emotion and form and content and design or whatever that there is there is no there is no narrative in that kind of painting right no and the question is you know is this just a cokehead disappearing up his own rectum or is this a vision of what is to come i think it's both that's i, think I would a, agree i think it's a piece of absolute crap and it's a masterpiece at the same time i think it can be both. Well, i wouldn't say i think masterpiece is overpraising it but it's an attempt to do something that was different, I def, you know, it's not. He's not stupid. No, <laughs> but the see the scenes of the Indians trying to quote unquote make the movie with their bamboo cameras and right. equipment are really thought provoking. Yeah, and kind the of story brilliant. is interesting. The, the, well, it's all, well. I wish there was more about that. Yeah. Well, that's almost like children copying adults. You know, and doing things, playing like you know, playing firemen or playing policemen or playing cowboys and Indians or that. But sort of if thing. you take it to, I mean, listeners, how many times have you felt yourself responding to something by sort of quietly asking yourself, "Well, how do they do this in the movies?" I mean, I think a lot of our behavior is dictated or at least you know suggested by what we see on film. Neil Gabler wrote that great book, Life the Movie, mm-hmm. which is how the the line between life and movies is getting thinner and thinner and he wrote that 25 years ago and now it's basically gone i mean look at instagram look at snapchat yeah. so uh, maybe hopper was really onto something here or maybe he was just a coke-fueled asshole who just turned out this piece of self-indulgent garbage that represents everything that's wrong when you give quote unquote artists you know, unlimited budget and final cut. I think it's all those things. Yeah, it, that's the beauty of it. That's why I love this movie because it's that good. It's that bad. It's the it's the Venice winner and the box office disaster. It's both. There's nothing like it, for better or worse. I've never seen another movie quite like it. And for me, that makes it interesting, worth our attention. And as I said, it's better than Easy Rider. <laughs> so there you go. As I said, a lot so, of us, there are people who love Easy Rider, so uh, you know, and they're allowed to vote. By the way, I, I remember liking Colors. Remember the the, the with Robert Duvall. Film? Yeah. yeah. Well, Colors almost goes completely the other direction, yeah. where it's it's a, a straight mainstream narrative. It's that's when he became so, a Republican. It's kind of kind of it's kind of safe. <laughs> it's kind of safe. It's 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 almost it's your typical studio movie of the time kind of thing. And I think by then he was directing to, you know, make make money. But he didn't direct that much after. No, he did not. No. He did Nike commercials. No. Yes. Well, well, I think they came to their senses and said, "We're not going there <laughs> We're anymore." We're not giving Dennis Hopper but I think anymore. Didn't money. didn't Colors do all right? I think it did. I don't know. Yeah. Don't but know. you never see it anymore. No, you don't. There was a lot of hoopla when he came out, yeah. but you yeah. never see it anymore. Which is interesting. So yeah, I, I mean, not a great actor, not a great, but a very interesting mind. And 
He you thinks know, it, so too. It, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but John, he said you could say the same thing about Orson Welles. Yes. No one believed. I'm not saying he's Orson Welles, please. Yes. But Orson no, Welles connect. Right. No, no one believed more in the. Well, <laughs> and, and it's funny because didn't Hopper show up in the other side of the wind? Is wasn't he there? Like I don't at the remember. Police? I think he's there at one of the I parties. Don't it wouldn't surprise me if Wells and Hopper knew each other. Oh, I'm sure They're they perfect did. Perfect for each other. Well, because um, they had that connection with Henry uh, Jaglum. Jaglum. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, so I, I it, there's there's nothing like it, and it's going to bore you, stupefy you, amaze you, frustrate you, and but you'll never see anything like it. And there are not many films that are like that. I'm not sorry I saw it again because as a when I saw it at 16, I totally forgot. All I remembered was I didn't understand what was going on. Now at least I can understand. I was going to ask you guys, he directed one film in between last movie and when he reappeared in Blue Velvet, which was Out of the Blue. I Dennis didn't see Christopher. I can't find it anywhere. He was acting on it, and then something happened to the director, and he took a, took it over. It's oh. the only film... Out of the he, Blue, is is that a horror movie? I think so, yeah. Was it's it, the only film he directed between last movie and Colors, which is a gap of, yeah. you know, of 20-something years. So if anyone out there knows where Out of the Blue is, please tell us so we can track that but, down. But it was a horror? I think it was. Yeah. I remember was that Dennis Christopher was in it, and I cannot find it anywhere, anywhere at all. Hmm. So... There might be a reason for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just curious. I'm, you know, you know us. We're completists. That's yeah, what movie yeah. fans are. I mean, you know, you, you have to see the bad stuff with the good. You have to. You have to. See, well, <laughs> you have to see the immortal story along with Citizen Kane. So you have to see the parody in case along with Vertigo. Yeah. All right. Yes, we are. We that is who we are, for better or worse. Um, so parody in case looks nice. Let me tell you about Mrs. Paradine. She's bad. Bad to the bone. <laughs> She's beautiful to look oh, at. Oh, oh, oh Bali, She is so beautiful. Oh, my I was Gregory Peck. I would have too. fallen in love with her, too. Yeah. Yep. No, that's a film that just went completely off the rails. But I mean, it's been too bad better. because it's actually a really, really good cast. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Louis yeah it's a great cast. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Actually, uh, Ethel Barrymore got an Oscar nomination for it, believe Lord. it or not. But uh, we need to do an, uh, we need to do an episode on justifiably obscure Hitchcock, right? Well, we did an episode. It's on, not that our obscure first episode though. Was, yeah. was unjustifiably obscure Hitchcock. It's but, not uh, that obscure. I think uh, it, it's shown more than uh, some of the good ones. It's the Thinking Man's Under Capricorn. Oh God, that one is obscure. <laughs> that one is pretty obscure. Uh, I've only been able to get through that one once. Uh, good for you. That's, that's once more than <laughs> once I Once is enough. <laughs> That'll do. But as a completist, we saw Under Cap. Yeah. All right. So uh, summing up um, for uh, John, his, um, his hidden gem in Hidden Gems number one, episode 11, is Safe Conduct, Bertrand Tavernier's film from 2003 about film. 2002. 2002. Yes. Pardonnez-moi about uh, filmmaking during the French Resistance, and very nice. Michael's is Alan Rudolph's Afterglow from 1997 with a lumina, uh, sorry to use a cliche word, it is a luminous performance by Julie Christie that makes the overwriting and some of the other problems with the film worth it, and again, I agree with you, Michael, that Montreal looks beautiful. And mine is Dennis Hopper's, who knows what the hell it is, um, the last movie, which, as I said, check it out, it's finally available in a really, really beautiful 
restoration on Criterion. Bless the folks at Criterion. And decide for yourself whether it's completely off its head, an absolute masterpiece, or as I think we came to the agreement here, both. So, uh, necrology time? We need necrology music. We have to have appropriate necrology nice. music. But uh, first of all, we have to give it up to um, uh, Agnes Varda, um, who uh, the, really the last of the new wave directors. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that the few times I don't know her work as well as I, I saw the Gleaners and I saw, I've seen I saw the recent one that got nominated I for did too. a documentary that she did with the young uh, hip hop yeah. artist. But um, you see, one sings the other. Doesn't that's no, hers? That's hers. Yeah, that's one's very. Her good. first film is Cleo from Five to Seven, which and I have not seen. Every time I showed that to my kids at BAM, they loved it. Really? Have you guys? Have you seen it, John? I, I have not, not seen, seen it. it. Cleo from Five to Seven is her first movie, and it is about takes place in real time. It starts at five o'clock and ends at seven o'clock on an afternoon where this woman who is a singer, sort of very temperamental singer, is waiting for a call from her doctor who's going to give her test results and diagnose her whether she has cancer or not. And it's about how she spends those two hours beautifully shot in black and white, startling, surprising, just a great movie. And, you know, she really, she outlived her husband, Jacques Demy. She outlived everybody else and had the last laugh. So good for Agnes yeah. She will be missed. Now, on the opposite end of Agnes Varda, Doris Day, anybody? Yeah, you know, for what... I can't say that I love Doris Day movies. I don't own a single DVD. But she was important for a period of time. I totally agree. And some critic... Well, she, was, she was a big star for a period. Yes. And uh, uh, I forget what critic. I think it might have been Anthony Lane in his Remembrance... He said, if you had a choice of watching a movie tonight on TCM, what would you rather watch? Lover Come Back or Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice? <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. Mm, when you think about it, her movies, some of them at least, some of the comedies that she made with... Um, with Rock Hudson. With Rock Hudson and, and, yeah. uh, uh, and James Garner. Yep. Uh, haven't aged that badly. No, and I, no. I think... She's stunning in uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. She's very good in that. Yeah, she's, she's actually, really actually she good. Is I mean, that requires some chops. And, and she's, she's also good in the movie she did with Cagney. Yes. Uh, Love Me or Leave Me. Love yeah. Me or Leave Me. Yeah. That's right. The Ruth. Uh, See, that, and that was, that was before the Rock Hudson movie. So True. Was, she, was, she was trying different, she was doing different things. She was allowed to do different things. Right. And, and, right, and she kind of got pigeonholed into those, yeah. rom- those pillow talk kind yeah, of because Yeah, right. because then in that mm-hmm. period of. The Rock Hudson movies, which she didn't do something with him, she did something like that with uh-huh. James Garner and the one touch. Although touch made with uh, she did uh, that other horror movie. Oh, that's right with uh, Rex, Harris. Rex Harrison. Yeah, uh, Myrna Loy. I can't think of the name. Midnight Lace. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yikes. I must admit, I really do like. Uh, there's two that she did with James Garner. I like yes. Darling a lot. I think that not one's a, very funny. Not as good as. Uh, the re- the original, my no, that's the other wife. one. Move over, darling. That's the remake. Oh, which of one am I thinking of then? The thrill of it all. Yes. Yeah. That's there there you go. That's yeah, I'm Reiner. sorry. Excuse me. The thrill of it all. That's, that's the one. That's like Yeah. I have to say, it would have been interesting if Albert Brooks had gotten a day to do a Mother. That was his oh, first was choice. Oh, supposed to be Debbie Reynolds. It was like, uh, it was Debbie Reynolds was like his fifth choice. 
Oh, really? He wanted someone who hadn't acted in a long time. And Doris Day was the first one, and he really, really tried to get her to do it. And she just said, you know, I don't act anymore. Yeah, once she retired, that was it. Yeah, she it was, was done. it. And I don't blame her because, I mean, she had to do that horrible TV show. Uh, Which was on for a few years. It was though, on for it? a few years. It was popular, but she had to do that to because uh, she was in debt because her husband, um, oh, had, uh, when he died, husband and lawyer had stolen all her money oh, and bad investments, work. and she was in Hawk. And then she sued again and got some of the money back. But, I mean, no, not a happy life she led. And so I, I you know. But no, but there's something very lovely and unironic about her. Yeah. And not in an annoying, cloying kind no. of way. It was sweetness, but not sickly sweet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why, I mean, that's why I think those films hold up surprisingly they do. well. Yeah. They do hold up. And some of them anyway. And uh, as I, I, I noticed... TCM is already going to have a Doris Day uh, night, and at ten o'clock they're going to have Lover Comes Back, which is my favorite. I love yeah. I love the Vim. Yeah, that is that <laughs> one's pretty funny. It's a pretty funny movie. So we say adieu to two very different and very important women of film: Agnes Varda and Doris Day. <laughs> I never thought you'd say those two names in the same sentence, but there you go. Um, John has one more on the necrology front. John. Oh, Alvin Sargent also recently screenwriter, great screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of what he did was adapted screenplays from either books or plays, but some of the movies that he did were uh, Juliet and Ordinary People, which he both won Oscars for, Paper Moon, Effective Gamma Rays on Man and Moon Marigolds, Straight Time, Unfaithful, and many more. Mm. So, and had a long career. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very long career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, actually... I, I loved the book Ordinary People, and I liked the movie just a little better. I agree. We still there's some people still teach the book. The book is still taught really? a lot in middle school. Absolutely. Interesting. Yep. I do. I do like the book, but I, I. It is a good movie. But the movie is just. I, I like the changes that were made. I, in I the movie, you know, I it, it goes down in history as the film that beats. You know, yeah, what I best know. It's not the no, yeah. but it really is not that bad. It's no, it's not bad. No, it's a good movie. movie. It's, it's really a, as good. I said, it's a good, good movie, movie, but yeah. it's that's not it's not a great masterpiece that people are going to keep viewing over and over and over thirty years. No. From have now. you guys seen it recently? I have not. I haven't seen it in I a while. Seen I don't know what. No, I'd like to see it again because I just remember being so blown away by Mary Tyler Moore. She's she's so against type and. And whoever cast her, God bless. It was Redford's idea. It was yeah. Redford, really? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Everyone is good in it. Totally. Redford's made a whole career of being a lot smarter than everyone thinks he is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Also. So um, I want to just give a private shout out because I'm so proud of her. My friend Hilary Brower, who I mentioned her film South Mountain, uh, got accepted and played at South by Southwest oh. and just got accepted to BAM Cinema Fest. And she's a wonderful, wonderful director and a, and a really cool, one of the coolest people I know. When is it? Um, I think it's playing June 14th, 15th. Those of you in the New York area, it's okay. at BAM. Um, and I'm hoping, and as I'm sure she is, uh, that it will be getting a theatrical release. I don't know if it will yet. Our June show 
is going to be something that we've been sort of brewing for a long, long time, and uh, we have to decide whether this is a function of just our advanced dotage or uh, if things are really changing, but our topic is going to be film comedy, live-action film comedy in this decade. Yeah, I was just going to ask if we're going to talk about animated films. No, because I think animated films are still in the moment of glory. Um see Coco to know, to know oh, what I Coco's mean. Oh, Coco's good. Yeah. But, you, you know, Coco? in terms of... I haven't lo- seen that in t- Even compared to the OOs, there seems to have been a fairly steep decline in the quality of live-action film comedy. And we have to... Dis- we're going to decide in our next episode whether that's just because we're cranky old men or because actually there has been a decline. So we will diagnose that and we would love to get your thoughts on that. So please share them with us at our website, www.vintagesand.com. We're and out suggestions there. about episodes. Yes, oh, absolutely. Please. We're totally going to do a Tarantino episode in July, right? We're going to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We need to do a Tarantino episode. Yes, we have to. Um, so thank you guys, guys for listening and for giving us your time and hanging out with us. Go check out the movies that we suggested. Uh, Vintage Sand is, as ever, a five nines and a four production. We want to thank Melissa for her technical help and production help, as always. We are here. We are not thanking Mama Sue for the space. We are once again at Vintage Sand Studios yes. South, Sur Le Maire. Where um, we do research and special effects. Exactly. We got the whole package right here. It's very self-contained. Gabby for our beautiful logo. As I said, please check out the website and leave us your feedback and suggestions. And happy watching. And as we always say, may your favorite films always be streaming.